It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Apologies if you missed us last week, but with the Commons returning from recess, we are back with plenty to talk about. Times political editor Francis Elliott will explain why number 10 is banking on Jeremy Corbyn, of all people. Deputy political editor Sam Coates warns we don't understand how Westminster spends our money. But first, Times columnist Jenny Russell thinks we've all missed the point on the Panama Papers. So all the revelations about industrial-scale tax evasion worldwide have been boiled down by the British into a single problem with a single solution. What we need to do in order to tackle the trillions of pounds that have evaded government oversight globally is to demand to see the tax records of MPs and the PM. Are we really so dull and so parochial and so vengeful about our elected representatives that we think that's what matters? This is a once-in-a-century chance to ride a wave of international indignation and bring tax evaders to book. And we're not even really trying. It was a huge tranche of information covering powerful, rich people from around the world. And yet, quite quickly, the Westminster village obsession came right down to a handful of people publishing their tax returns. And the, and the British public's obsession, the idea that actually all our politicians are venal in it for themselves. And what's more, whatever goes wrong in the world must actually be MPs' fault. When you have 11 billion documents, you've got 17 newspapers spending seven months analysing the stuff that would take one person 25 years to read. We discover that all the plutocrats and crooks all around the world have built these amazing legal structures to hide perhaps... Um, one-tenth or one-quarter of the world's wealth from governments, and we come down to saying we really ought to see the tax returns for the MP for Whitney. And then we find that everything that he's done, although a little embarrassing, is perfectly legal, it's not very much money, and that Jeremy Corbyn might owe the government £180 because he's forgotten to declare the fees for three lectures. I mean, that's really going to make a dent in the global (laughs) tax evasion problem. To what extent is this the fault of the Westminster Village and to what extent is it just really... You mean the, you, Sam? The, no, exactly. What exactly, <laughs> to what extent is it just the fault of the media? Um, I because think... I, because Labour have been raising exactly the questions that you ask. So my question is, who other than newspaper editors are at fault? I think it's newspaper editors and the public and, and our myopia. We're just accustomed to looking at our own little tiny world and not thinking about the wider picture. The whole reason that governments have always said that they cannot deal with international tax evasion is that it requires international cooperation, and there's never been any pressure to do that. All of a sudden, for the first time ever, we've got a worldwide tide of revulsion about what's going on, and we've also got some handle on how much money it's costing all of us. There was a really interesting YouGov poll last week which asked people whether they were shocked by the revelations, and 83% of the public claimed not to be. 
And I think that's ludicrous. I think that's just people feeling that a kind of tide of cynicism is something they're obliged to go along with. I'm sure they were shocked. I mean, I had no well, you idea. Be shocked. You, I suppose you can be angry but unsurprised. Unsurprised, yes. And I, that's, well, that's, may, maybe that's the, the distinction. It's sort of shrug of the shoulders and we can't do anything about it. But what we can do is we can force David Cameron to publish his tax exactly. return. Exactly. You know, well, and that's where they're wrong. You see, actually, if, if um, the public put pressure on governments now, if we were all writing to our MPs and all talking on talk shows about how MPs have now got to legislate against tax avoiders and have got to run this anti-corruption summit that David Cameron is planning next May in order to say, right, we are now going to insist on transparency, we're going to punish people here who plan for tax evasion. I guess what I find frustrating about the story is, is not is not only that it quickly developed into a story about personalities and David Cameron in particular, but it was even, it was on the sort of wrong, wrong sort of the tax question. It became about inheritance tax and the rights yes. and wrongs of inheritance tax and the ease with which Downing Street managed to sort of part the whole story up that particular cul-de-sac was quite depressing. You mean that I loved my dad and he wanted to do his best for me? Exactly. And it's perfectly... And the the elision of a legitimate desire to do well by your kids, getting away from (laughs) bearer shares in... 2010 are exactly the kind well, of... Putin right doing the best for his kids to the tune of several billion. <laughs> so it, it wasn't even a particularly kind of tightly focused debate around, you know, there is a debate to be had about, you know, where evasion becomes avoidance uh, or where avoidance becomes evasion, but, but we haven't had it and, we, and it looks yes. like we're not going to have it now. But I guess with all these big data stories, you have to find a kind of personal... That, that is the issue. Look into it. There's, I, there's I, something I agree. About the, 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 it's the, hard to hang on to. But the data was so big that it's sort of, it's impossible to get your head around. And most people can't be bothered, frankly, reading pages and pages and pages of The Guardian. So they don't. And they just think, oh, it's just loads of rich people. There's nothing we can do about it. I don't like it, but that's that's just how it is. Yes, but I think the point is that we we as newspapers and and we as citizens ought to be saying actually we can do something about it. There's nothing God given about the fact that um, people are cheating the rules in the system. The rules in the system are all man made, and um, men can rewrite the rules, and that's the thing that we should be going for here. But isn't what you're talking about isn't happening? Isn't isn't it actually happening and sort of almost in our newspaper? today the debate that you're asking for which is how we should change the rules to minimize tax avoidance well there was they are making steps and there's a big issue there what what david cameron said yesterday on 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 monday was they have now struck agreements with all of the various offshore havens the cayman islands panama and, and, and all of that and they are going to require them to hold central registers so so that law enforcement and tax and and the tax man in in uh, in countries such as britain can find out who the owners are of various assets so that has happened and what hasn't happened is that that register is going to make, be made public now david cameron said in 2013 that it ought to be now they're saying in the interest of an expedient deal with these countries that it won't be but it will be available to law enforcement so it isn't that there hasn't been progress and progress because david cameron's been under fire on this issue it's just that it's not the top of page one so it receives less attention from readers and also we're not pushing to go any further i mean i'm i'm no tax expert and i don't know how you deal with this stuff but for instance i went um a couple of years ago to um, a major british bank to ask for some help with planning pensions and investments and i came out of that meeting an hour later absolutely reeling i don't know what i thought i was going to get i think i expected them saying these are really good companies and we suggest you invest in this instead the entire meeting was simply about how i could get richer by avoiding tax and it was all about we advise that you put your money into complicated uh, film investment vehicles where you lend yourself money for seven years and postpone your tax for six and fill out the forms for this company or you put your money in offshore jersey bank accounts and so on and I came away absolutely astounded. Now, that is a, a regular mainstream 
British Bank, and that's their orthodox advice to anyone who goes to them. Now, it's that kind of thing that we should be clamping down on. Name the bank. <laughs> But the, I, I, well, I could, but, 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 but they all do it. I was talking to a banker the other night who was saying, well, I'm a private banker, and she said, all our clients have offshore accounts and offshore trusts and so on, because that's what we tell them to do. That's the sensible thing to do. Now, the government should be rewriting the laws so that that isn't what you can do, so that you can't create this staggering amount of um, wealth which you then permanently shelter from the rest of us, because it has two consequences. A, it leads to major inequality in the country. And it means that forever some people have got dynastic wealth and other people haven't got a hope of doing what they want to do in their lives. Secondly, it means that all these people who have looted and stolen and protected this money are then able to come into Britain and buy up our major asset, which is housing, thus making it impossible for ordinary people earning ordinary salaries to lead decent lives, have children, own a house, all the rest of it. Now, again, the government could be acting on that if there was sufficient outrage about this issue. Perhaps they should slap 50% tax on anyone who buys a house through an offshore company, for instance, instead of allowing huge developments to be bought off plan by investors abroad who never well, even live there. That's a good idea, I mean, I think and they are edging towards that. Um, but again, if we, if we were driving the public outrage, if the public was being outraged about why can't my children either rent or buy in London rather than being outraged about David Cameron having £30,000 <laughs> in an offshore tax fund, we might be getting somewhere. But if we thought tax was complicated, Sam, you want to talk about something that you claim nobody understands. I claim nobody does, no. When it comes to understanding what goes on in Whitehall, let's be honest, we don't really have much of a clue, and the government prefers it that way. The political game... <laughs> well, this, it, this ties in with your point. The, the, the political game of who's up and who's down dominates because it's a pretty easy narrative. But the true account of what's going on inside uh, Whitehall is, is pretty hard to work out. Take my favourite example, which is the public finances. Did you know, for instance, that the budget is not where the budget for the government is set? In fact, that's a completely different document voted on by MPs at a different point in the year called the estimates. And the estimates have to be approved so that government departments can spend the Crown's money. And that's a chunky document of two, three hundred pages prepared by the Treasury. Um, and I defy anybody to explain what the code actually means. Nobody understands it. And I really do mean nobody. Do you mean that the estimates have completely different figures in it from the ones we were told in the budget? So the budget tells you what changes the government is making from one year to the next. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't tell you how each government department spends the bu- the little areas of all the little pots of money that it have. It, um, the estimates are the thing that tells you when a pot of money transfers from one department to another and that happens all the time and each time it happens it has big political significance but we never are able to track it because we never understand the darn document and this is the point the institute for fiscal studies the house of commons library the office for budget responsibility i have asked them all whether or not they've ever got anywhere decoding these estimates that are the things that you have to authorize so that the government can spend the, the queen's money for, raised by tax and they all say no they defy interpretation and I have picked them up looked at them stared very hard and had a conversation with a treasury press officer where they laughed down the phone saying we know that there are loads of stories in there but I'm damned if you'll ever find them because that's how this document is drawn up in America there is a system of appropriations attached to bills so you can see direct spending and Congress directly authorises spending attached to measures. We have a system of um, bills which are never directly linked to money or funding, which is why we have such 
pathetic abilities to ensure accountability on financial measures, um, and that is the way the Treasury like it. No, no, I, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, the, it's been a long long time, if ever, I've got a story out of a supply estimate. What do, what needs to happen? Is it, I mean, we need to, we just, we need to get better, don't we, Sam? I mean, it's really, this is a... This is, this is, we, we do, I mean, we know. Well, it's we, not a, it, 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 this would defy accountants. This, this is a topic that I have chosen because I got out of bed on the wrong side and decided to beat ourselves up. It is a failure of us to jump up and down and loudly complain yes. that we do not understand how government finances work and the fact that nobody does and it's deliberately designed but like they that. Tra- they trade on our embarrassment of saying, uh, yeah. uh, because they, but, but they assume that... Sorry. Sorry. Well, they're a government that, that claims all the time to be so transparent, and oh, you're saying please. they're being d- deliberately please. obscure. So we should embarrass them. <laughs> so, I mean, this is clearly a fault of governments going back decades, not sure. this one. However, it was this government and George Osborne's advisers who identified this as a problem and something that could be changed. And then we haven't got uh, made a great deal of, of of progress on that clearly over the last seven years. So, what are they written in a complex way? <clears throat> because of sort of arcane parliamentary rules. And that's just how it's always been done. Or do you think it's done deliberately to stop people being able to follow the money? The account They're set out a little bit like company accounts, but hundreds of pages of them pertaining to subsections of government departments. And as with accounts, your understanding is linked to the verbal explanations that go with each bit of money. And the verbal explanations, surprise, surprise, just are fairly incomprehensible and not particularly transparent. Yeah. And they'll rarely tell you why a change has been made. The you know the, the Treasury is absolutely schooled in not creating embarrassment for its uh, political masters. Mm. And it is there is no reason to lift the lid on something that doesn't need to have the lid lifted <laughs> on it. I mean, not... Can not you give me- us an example, Sam, of, of what kind of story, because I'm sure listeners will it is be thinking, a, it is entirely, what is it we could it is, be missing? It is entirely unclear to me where financial responsibility for the renewal of Trident lives. You might think it was an MOD matter, but historically, it was a Treasury matter. And there were there were moves before the spending review to take it back to the Treasury and the Cabinet Office, where uh, a sort of slightly oddly merged Treasury and Cabinet Office access tries to take control of all major spending projects. But um, I am still struggling to find out who has ultimate responsibility for the the second biggest or biggest public you say spending responsibility, item. Who has to pay for it, you mean? Or, 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 who, or who's who has, overseeing who, it? Who, well... I think true responsibility comes with the person who signs off the financial commitment, mm-hmm. and I haven't even quite got to the bottom of that because I, I think it has transferred back to the to, to a sort of treasury and cabinet office grey area, George Osborne and Matt Hancock. But there are lots of different arguments whenever I raise that with MOD people about whether that's the case, and all of this information bluntly. Um, is the kind of thing that's con- contained in the estimates document, and that's where um, would be the arbit- arbiter of this of this debate. And if we understood more about that and how many other similar arguments are going on in Whitehall, there is an argument that that responsibility over the last six years has drained incredibly from government departments as every capital spending project, in other words, investment project, gradually gets subsumed into the Osborne Optimus and the, and the, and the Cabinet Office oversight. But it's unclear well, to me... other bugbear, the, kind of the, the gov.uk website, which appears to be, you know, which has <laughs> ludicrously won awards for being transparent and open and actually... Um, is being purged of functionality and use, you know. What are they taking out? They took out consultations. And there was a nice little searchable thing where you could look in consultations. If you, you know, if to look at the kind of publications you have to wade through, I mean, environmental audit applications for, you know, a, a sewage farm in. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not kidding. Yeah. In, in Norfolk, uh, rub shoulders, you know, are listed alongside historic child sex abuse documents, for instance. Right. 
So, so it's, it's the opposite of if previously. And good luck with both of you trying to find a cover pro- up. Trying, it's trying, it's trying just to dumping f- everything online. Exactly in in a yes. in a bland. So they say we'll put everything out there. So it's but they like just an unsearchable library with. Yeah. In fact, Jeremy Corbyn's desk is what. Yes, it's well, like, it's like, it's, it's, it's like falling into Jeremy Corbyn's filing system <laughs> and never climbing out. Well, I'll tell you what um, we'll do. We'll put. Uh, well, I'll we'll we'll find one of these estimate documents. And we'll put it on the Red Box website. At, the times. Hey, maybe we'll UK. find that we've got some great listeners who can decode yes, it for us. Yes, and you can, and listeners can try and pick their way through and, and show Sam up by um, discovering a story lurking in there. And then we can give them a job at the Times if they can actually be somebody who does this. My job. (laughs) Out of the estimates. (laughs) Right, Francis, uh, we can't um, get through a whole week without talking about the EU referendum. Of course not. Let's let's do that now. So it's a big moment when number 10 is counting on Jeremy Corbyn, but but that's what's happening. With the poll showing the EU referendum race too close to call, allegedly, Downing Street is banking on Labour's leader's big speech on Thursday to show that the pro-EU family stretches from momentum through to the CBI and beyond so the debate has focused on the Tory so far. The debate has focused on the Tory soap opera. Uh, and Corbyn, uh, from number 10 perspective, needs to show his supporters that he's more than just a reluctant Remainer. I think actually what is happening is uh, just there as, as they write this speech, there is quite a lively debate within Corbyn's office between those who who want him to go on this anti-elite stuff and make clear that his support for the EU is very limited and those who want them to be a little bit more enthusiastic. I, I kind of think it's, it's largely an arcane debate and actually what all number 10 really want is, to, is the, the prize of, of being able to say we've got Jeremy Corbyn on our side. On, the, on the six o'clock symbols. news, they want I don't think we really... Corbyn saying stay in the EU. Yeah, that's it. That's it. How, how, how are they able to be so enthusiastic about having Corbyn's support when David Cameron was so... Um, very funny and cutting about him yesterday in the comments. He well, was, so he was saying he didn't want a letter from Jeremy Corbyn. It was bad enough listening to a speech of his. <laughs> so how can he turn around then in a few days later and say it's so great that Jeremy Corbyn is on the same well, side not, as me? They're not going to turn around and say that. I mean, they let other people say that. They, you know, they 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 they'll, they are doing an odd but reasonably functional job of maintaining, on the one hand, normal Westminster politics and all that that implies, with this crazy other world of. Of, of the real poll, which is the EU referendum. Speeches and statements by Jeremy Corbyn on Europe are, are, are a thing of beauty. Um, they will begin <laughs> with a, a relatively shallow attestation of the importance of staying in Europe, and then will quickly dovetail onto the evils of TTIP, the Transatlantic Treaty, yes. which might Florida destroy the uh, which might destroy the NHS and, uh, 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 and and hand gifts to big business. It will then segue into the unnecessary um, austerity, the bankers' style of austerity imposed on countries like Greece, as the EU teams up with that other great evil, the IMF. And then we'll conclude with a statement about how Jeremy Corbyn welcomes uh, all types of migrants at all time into the country. <laughs> um, uh, and then he will say, vote EU. So, so they care because... Um, they being Downing Street? Yeah. They care because yeah. there is a big problem with the Labour vote. And I think it's an interesting question whether Jeremy Corbyn helps solve it. Yeah, but the Labour, the, the, the Labour vote... Labour is hamstrung on the EU referendum because it's a referendum where they can't get their messages out, but their messages themselves aren't that good because there isn't yet a coherent, snappy way of describing why 
people on the centre-left who identify themselves with Labour should vote to stay. The stuff about protections hasn't really cut through. The stuff about migration is very muddled because of the differing positions of Alan Johnson and the leadership. And they're just worried that um, this debate is only being seen through the through the Tory soap opera prism, and it means that Labour voters will stay at home or, or even, even vote out. Mm. And I think that while Jeremy Corbyn might appeal to the 250,000 Labour members who still continue to back him strongly, it's much less clear that he's the greatest guided, trusted guide. And the, but but what we're really talking about here is the lack of success of the bit of the Labour Party that's meant to be campaigning for Europe. People in Labour are very underwhelmed by Alan Johnson's efforts so far. The great, Why is that? Because um, he's not man, putting any effort in. The man, is it, is the he man, the Zach Goldsmith of the left? Um, the man personified <laughs> by the shrug of the shoulders is struggling to raise the maximum amount of money that he could get from the from the from the from the center he hasn't yet found forms of words on key arguments he isn't seen to have made a blistering intervention that's changed anybody's mind and um frankly the um laboring organization is staffed by i think what they would admit is mid to low level labor staff has borrowed from the shadow on, from the part, office, on, part-time. on part-time basis yeah. from shadow ministers without a great deal of involvement or commitment and it is you know britain stronger in is sort of having to take over the roles that they're doing and do many of the functions that people thought would be done by the separate organization that as it stands doesn't quite fill up to the task ahead. So the, the, one of the interesting things about Corbyn's speech this week is that it, it gives the Labour machine permission I think that's, to swing into action. I think that's right. I mean, uh, I think it's, 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 about, it's about giving cover to Len McCluskey and other general secretaries who... The, the, Jeremy know, said this is what we should be doing. Yeah, who, who, who can then go to their executives yeah. and overrule the kind of outers within Unite and say, you know, we're have to going to spend some money, we're going to give you some phone bank, we're going to actually kind of get out on the ground and get people out. I spoke to John McDonnell this weekend and said... Um, why aren't you getting out there in Europe? And he said, look, the thing is we're travelling around the country and we're doing such a lot on the local elections and we're getting packed out meetings everywhere, but what people want to ask about is local issues. The EU is just not coming up. But that's where they're supposed to be leading and not just discussing dog mess and traffic lights at council meetings. And if, I guess you the don't, you don't... They're at the top of a political party. They're supposed to be making big arguments. and that's. But I guess you also don't want to lose massive amounts of yeah. council seats, which they are about to do. So yeah. maybe they think that self-preservation in that area is more important. Also, it's quite hard to tell an audience something they don't want to listen to, perhaps. I'm just throwing that in as, a, as an answer. Well, we can't um, let you go without doing the um, red box... EU sweepstake. I think Sam, you've already done this, haven't you? No, you haven't done it. I'm not that stupid. I'm not going to put my num- name against a number. You're not going. To, you're not going to put it. You're not. Sam, you're the first power one. without responsibility. Everybody else. I've been so comprehensively wrong in recent elections and predictions that I think it's probably Why not better add that I to don't. it. <laughs> Why not add to your record? Percentage remain will get. Fifty-nine. Fifty-nine. See, fuck, they're very good. Can't you? Can't you now order that's Sam lead- to take that's, le- that's leadership for you. Well, and I'm, if he's wrong, I'll never I'm so imagine. glad he said 59, because I've already done mine, and I said a few weeks ago 60, and I was wondering whether it should be slipping, but, you know, I'll stick. If, no, if the, he's on the, 59, I'll stick. The, uh, the average across the, the sweepstake is, gra- is gradually nudging up to about 53, 54%, I think. Really? Um, and so you can submit your prediction on Twitter using the hashtag... You, the listener, please you, the join listener, in. Please join in. If you want to get involved and uh, submit your own prediction for what Remain will get in the EU... Referendum. You can submit it on Twitter using the hashtag #RedboxSweepstake, or you can email us redbox at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, and please do get in touch and let us know about any of the subjects we've been talking about in the podcast today. You can follow us on Twitter at Times Red Box, or find us on Facebook. 
As ever, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or on your Android device, and you can sign up to my morning email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox, where we'll also put one of the estimates uh, that Sam was talking about, and you can also find links to our new EU referendum mini-site, giving you everything you need to know uh, ahead of the vote on June the 23rd. Uh, But for now, from Jenny, Francis, Sam and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.